The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of it, we're going to kick things off with our afternoon update. And joining me for today, Eno Doherty, columnist of the Irish Independent, and Shauna Bowers, a reporter with the Irish Times. You're going to have to fess up. Anyone have a dodgy box? What? None of us in studio. TV here now. The dodgy box, yeah. Uh, no, of course you wouldn't. Shauna, you don't have a dodgy box. Goody two you, do, you, don't, over here. you don't know anyone who has a dodgy Never. box? No one in your family has a dodgy box? Do. You do. I, I, I know I know several people who have dodgy boxes. And the reason why I don't have one isn't necessarily out of any great sense of morality, although I would like to credit myself with that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, are, you <laughs> had the moral high ground <laughs> occupied, Ian, and you're... Uh, no, I just wouldn't get one because I was the kind of kid in school that every time somebody did something wrong, I got caught or I got the blame. <laughs> um, I was just one of those kids who was terrible. I used to have friends who could get away with murder and I got busted doing everything. The first time I had a cigarette, I was caught. The first time I had a drink, I was caught. The first time I did everything that I shouldn't meant to be, I wasn't meant to be doing, I was caught. So if I was to get a dodgy box... I would be caught. But the interesting thing about this is that it's hard to make the moral argument because people get everything for free now. They get their music for free on Spotify. Mm. They get their movies for free on YouTube. And they get their newspapers for free on their phone. And we live in this culture where people now seem to feel offended if they're being asked to pay for something. Um, Everything that we all used to cherish, movies, newspapers, books, uh, all of those things, uh, they're now gone for free and they're not valued. And I think the dodgy box thing is a symptom of a much wider problem that we no longer place a value on the things that are really, really valuable. I mean, like my column today in the Indo, if you could read that for free on your phone, mm. why would you spend 250 to buy it in print? Mm. Like, it just, you know, I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, um, so I do think the dodgy box is an expression of that kind of cultural thing now where people don't um, value the things that we used to value. Uh, But is it confined to kind of digital products? You know... I don't think so, because no. piracy has always been a thing. Like, I remember, now not my parents, of course, but when I was growing up, there would be oh, DVDs yeah. circulating. And it'd be movies that are in the cinema, and you'd see people standing up because they'd illegally recorded it <laughs> while in the cinema. You know, it always has been a thing, but I think part of the dodgy box symptom of that now is that there are so many streaming services, and there are only so many you can pay for. And, like, they're costly. They all add up really quickly. So it's no surprise, really, why uh, so many people have them. But whether this enforcement action is going to have any yeah. impact on that is highly unlikely. Um, like there are there are consequences. You see, so I'm watching Masters of the Air at the moment, the kind of the third band of brothers, as people call it. But HBO wouldn't make it. Said, no, we, we actually can't invest that type of money anymore because people just get this stuff for free. They're not paying us for it. Now, Apple would do it, but that's because Apple treat their streaming service as a lost leader and they just want to keep people in the Apple family and buying Apple products. So there, there is a consequence to all of this, Ian. Of course, yeah. I mean, and the thing about it is the, there was a very interesting piece in The Atlantic I was reading last week, um, the American publication, which said that glory days of streamers are over. Um, the money just isn't there. Yeah. Um, and you look at, say, for example the ridiculous amounts of money that Netflix threw at Harry and Meghan and stuff. I mean, those days are gone. 
You know, in fact, I mean, Netflix were so fahulic with their money that there was an entire South Park episode where the running joke was somebody just answering the phone going, Netflix, we commission. <laughs> um, you know, how much do you want? So it's uh, the water is getting higher for the streamers. Their revenue sources are down. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're going to see such a clampdown on dodgy boxes. Yeah. Because this isn't something that they can kind of make some noises about and then move away. They're, they they are really now becoming increasingly desperate about the bottom line. And they're becoming as worried about the bottom line as their terrestrial competitors are. And that's the first time that's happened. Uh, but it's what's interesting, why I asked about the kind of the, the difference between hard copy and digital, Sean, is because somebody recently... Um, was telling me about a way to kind of hack my Kindle and basically, you know, get all these PDFs of books kind of for free and I'd never have to pay for them uh, anymore, which I didn't do. And I'm not just saying I, di- I didn't do it. But, um, uh, but I mean, I was arguably more tempted to do that than I would be to uh, to take into my possession a load of stolen books in the book centre on High Street in Kilkenny. Do you know what I mean? But it's it's the same thing. Yeah, I think there's a slight disassociation. Is there when it's digital content for us? Definitely. And I think, you know, that kind of applies across the board. Like our phones are so much more than a phone. Like when the phone first came out, it literally you could call people and you had a wire and you couldn't move from that location. Whereas now it's a laptop, it's emails, it's social media, it's I'll watch Netflix while I'm on the train, I'll read my Kindle app. It's a bit of everything. And so therefore, I think that's kind of led to this almost sense of entitlement or why should I pay for it like I can get it on my phone. Never mind watching foreign football to somebody else and drama on dodgy boxes get down to Daily Mount or the Abbey for real life entertainment. Kate says, I listen, the cost of paying for Sky and the various streaming services you need to watch the shows you want is so expensive they only have themselves to blame if people uh, are looking for a cheaper option if subscriptions weren't so expensive says somebody else, dodgy boxes wouldn't be so prevalent. One listener simply says, I have a dodgy box. I think you can get a cream for that. But anyway, 087 1400. Like, sir, sir, this isn't people stealing a loaf of bread because they're starving, you know. This, is, this isn't Trevelyan's corn, you know. This is basically people getting a dodgy box because they want to see Man United play on a Sunday and they don't want to have to pay for it. Yeah. That's basically what it is. And, and, it, and it suits them to blame a big corporation like Sky yeah. or Virgin yeah. or yeah. Vodafone it's or somebody basically else. You don't want to pay over the odds. Uh, to watch United or Liverpool on a Sunday, uh, but at the, say, mo- at the moment, it. at the moment, this crackdown today that we're talking about, it focuses on the suppliers of dodgy boxes, and that's what all the crackdowns have done. I mean, I'm not sure that has any impact on demand, does it? And if there's demand there, you know, supply where, will where always find a way. Will always be supply, in yeah, er- in everything, in absolutely everything. So we need you to get a dodgy box, and then the end user to start getting targeted. As we say, that you would really happen want to if get you do. Sacked on this program, yeah. don't you, Lee? Huh? <laughs> anyway. I do not have a dodgy box for the record, despite what Mister Cuddity. It's says. dodgy sticks, anyway. So somebody has the boxes are a thing of the past. Loaded uh, Amazon Fire sticks are the way to go, uh, according to one of our listeners. So oh eight seven fourteen hundred one zero six, like I say, is the number. Um, I, I want to talk to you for a, a few minutes about um, Israel and not so much what is happening um, in Gaza. We had this kind of uh, uh, an attempt at the UN, uh, Shauna, to call for a ceasefire, uh, the US government uh, kind of vetoing that and coming in for some criticism today. But 
Rosa Fanning, the Attorney General, is going to be before the International Court of Justice in The Hague tomorrow. But this this isn't the South Africa genocide case. This is a separate case, right? Yeah, this is completely separate to the South African case. This is to do with uh, the legal consequences arising from the policies and practices of Israel in the occupied Palestinian territory. Um, so the ICJ will hear from over 50 countries over the course of the hearings and Ireland's Attorney General Rosa Fanning will appear tomorrow. So there is, Ian, and, and you would know more about this that, than I would. Um, so you've a particular interest in this part of the world and what's happening there and what has been happening there. I mean, there does seem to be much more kind of international consensus that like setting aside Gaza, what has happened in the occupied territories, West Bank with settlements, that that is wrong. It's not even just international consensus. Um, there's domestic consensus in Israel. Um, amongst the public? Amongst, amongst the public. Not against, um, not amongst against politicians the, Against though. the settlers. But not amongst politicians. No, uh, because the settlers are actually a fairly powerful political lobby group. Mm. Um, so they hold a lot of sway in the Knesset, um, the Israeli parliament. Not as much as they used to. Um, over the last few years, the tide has really begun to turn. Um, I know people in Tel Aviv, Jewish people, uh, who are liberals, and they can't stand the settlers. They, Why? What's the Because they, they, they just think the settlers are just creating more barriers than they're breaking down. Okay. Uh, that they're fostering more resentment. That you can't... They're now seen as really... The settlers are often quite openly uh, stealing land. Um, now, but having said that, the settlers were removed out in 2007 and then they kind of went back in again. Um, but everybody in Israel seems to realise that the settler situation is a major issue. Mm. Um, but nobody knows how to deal with it. Because how do you say to the diaspora, how do you say to the Jewish diaspora, particularly in Russia and America, Yeah, um, come back, come back to the homeland, Eretz Israel. And then when they come back, they say, right, well, you're going to have to stay in a bedsit in Shtarat or in Tel Aviv because you're not going to get effectively your 40 acres and a mule. Yeah. Which is what they think they're going to be getting. Um, so it's, it's a really, really thorny issue. Yeah. Um, for... Israelis, not just for everybody else. I mean, it, it's and the one thing the Israelis are very good at is arguing amongst each other and stuff. Then they always bicker. Yes, yeah. and this is if you if you want to uh, if you want to get a dinner party going in Tel Aviv, just bring up the settlers and just it's like rolling yeah. the head and welcome back. Uh, evidence, I guess, of the kind of international, the almost universal sense of international condemnation, Sean, though, is that the US, who I mentioned, kind of vetoing calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. I mean, they they have in the past imposed financial sanctions on on settlers and and groups involved in in these illegal settlements. I think they're preparing more. Yeah, and I think it really stands testament, the international consensus, when you look that the Security Council has 15 members, obviously the US vetoed it, the UK abstained, but all 13 other members 
called for a, a ceasefire. So clearly, I think the focus sometimes we get distracted when we're talking about financial penalties or when we're talking about settlers and things like that. Really, the focus is on lives here. And there's been a colossal loss of lives. There's Israeli hostages who are still in captivity, deprived from access to their families and friends and things like that. And the World Health Organization said earlier today, you know, malnourishment, for example, has gone from 1% in the Gaza Strip prior to the violence to now 15%. Like that's a huge number of people who are being deprived of basic human rights. Ian, I know because we were talking during the news headlines about this and about its impact here and on the Jewish community here as well in and around the part of Dublin you live. Yeah. Um, as I was saying to you as a joke, the number of Tesco Express deliveries has gone through the roof because a lot of Jews um, are just afraid to leave the house. And, the, 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 you know, the synagogue was closed immediately after October the 7th. Um, we're so far okay. Uh, we've had the weekend protests and we've had the usual lefties in the doll doing their student union politics. Uh, but by and large, apart from a few off-colour comments that I've heard uh, from people, we haven't gone down the full Jew-hating road. Whereas they have in Britain and they have in Australia. Like in, in Australia, outside Sydney Opera House, which is bequeathed by a Jewish person, actually, ironically enough, Um they were chanting, gas the Jews. Now, don't tell me that's anti-Zionist, not anti-Semitic. Mm. That's anti-Semitic. In London, every week, we see marches um, where people are openly calling for support for Hamas. People are openly calling for the murder of Jews. Uh, yesterday, uh, an Israeli, English, Jewish guy, he'd sent his birth, his daughter's birth cert off to the passport office yeah. to get a passport. And the birth cert came back with place of birth, Israel, scribbled out, and the birth cert was ripped. Now, here's the thing, and from speaking to a couple of Jewish people I know, is that they don't even feel... That we've a minuscule Jewish population in this country, which, mm. which is an absolute bloody scandal. Um, there is such a vital part of Irish political life and cultural life for so long. Um, and now they've been virtually erased. But a lot of them have gone to Manchester and a lot of them have gone to Israel. And as one of them, I know, said to me uh, a couple of years ago, it was long before this broke up, yeah. uh, that they only, A, they only like us when we're dead. Everybody likes a dead Jew. Everybody likes a Holocaust story. Right, uh, we got to go to Schindler's List and we got to cry and we got to feel better about ourselves, and then we get back to calling Israelis Nazis. Um, and the other thing he said was that now they can't; they're afraid even to go to Israel. And I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago. Um, now even Israel isn't seen as a safe country. This is a very, very bad and cold time to be Jewish in the West, and I don't think anywhere near enough attention or consideration is paid to that fact. That the thing is, this is a community that, that a community that's been down this road before and they know how it ends. And we all say, oh never again, this could never happen again. When you see hundreds of people openly chanting gas the Jews. Yeah. You go, this is how it could happen again. But and I, and I, I'm not for a single solitary second defending that. But what some people might say is that Perhaps the anti-Semitism you're talking about, and not to deny its reality, but the reason people are not talking about it is there's only kind of so much bandwidth. And when so many children are being killed in such numbers every day, that's understandably getting the attention for the moment. Well, people pick their battles. 
That's you know we all do that. We all have our own biases. Um, we all pick our battles. Um, but I've I was kind of scarred because I went to the video of the October the seventh attacks, and I won't forget that in a hurry. I think it was on this work. I was saying yeah. it was a home movie from hell, right? Um, but we all know that the bombardment has to stop. We all know that too many people have been killed. Um, I've friends in Tel Aviv who've been sleeping in a bomb shelter for the last three months, um, and they don't have any ill will against the Palestinians. They want this to end as well. I mean, they're liberal peaceniks. Um, but, <coughs> excuse me, Hamas have played everybody like a fiddle. Hamas have played a blinder. Um, they're on the front page of every Western newspaper with more anti-Israeli atrocities. What do people want the Israelis to do? Release the hostages. The, the, first, the first and foremost plank of the Israeli position. Release the hostages and then we talk. Right? They've been having meetings in Qatar um, that haven't really gone anywhere. Um, we might have got a delayed extension in Rafa. But the Israelis are very... And what Hamas had... Their goal was to basically sow discord in the Israeli body, body politic and that's something that they've managed. So uh, kudos to them. Uh, there's lots of people with strong views. Well, David is just suggesting that part of the solution needs to include uh, the, the cessation to annexation of land at gunpoint. And somebody else talking about uh, the peace model from Kosovo and Serbia uh, being projected uh, onto Israel and Palestine and Gaza. Oh, it's Evan, 106 Plenty of other people still getting in touch um, about dodgy boxes. Uh, I have a couple of fire sticks uh, to view my Amazon Prime and Disney Plus subscriptions. As one listener, has Ian ever owned a blank tape with other artists? music on it that's piracy if you've done that you can't talk about dodgy boxes it's hypocrisy says David in Galway but you're guilty of a lot of things according to the listener <laughs> uh, on, on the text line today I can tell you that uh, Emer says I can't cope with the poor streams that come with dodgy boxes and there are so many weird channels on it that I simply don't need uh, listen before I let you go I do have to ask you about a story that's coming up later because I often get accused of awful things when we talk about this in the show and it's how often to kind of change bed sheets and clean things so there's this kind of fascinating survey it's done by uh, Online Bedrooms well-known polling company um, <laughs> Towels, chopping boards and screen protectors on your phone need to be replaced annually. Shower curtains every three months and your bed sheets every two years. They should be thrown out. They should be changed once a week. Now, I went oh, an entire academic year. I didn't change my bed sheets. They were as hard as that desk by the end of it. I'm and appalled. I survived. Ah, Shauna, they're absolutely, they're fine. Like sleeping on cardboard a little bit by the time I got around to the exams. I assume this is pre my mind a, sharp, though. a wife or girlfriend or... It was it was well pre that actually. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Uh, uh, but um, chopping boards, I would wager people don't throw out their chopping board annually. Do you? No, and you know what? I was only looking at mine the other day when I was getting dinner ready, and I was like, they're looking a bit rough or weird. Mm. But you know, they're also some of them are made of plastic, and I'm like, if I get rid of them, then I'm going to get more plastic, and that doesn't. Oh, sound very you're saving friendly. the planet. Exactly. I'm saving my your bit. own health to <laughs> save the planet. Block. Got a butcher's block. The big wooden yeah. block. Uh, my Mrs. Sarah, she got it for me one Christmas as a present or whatever, and it's just, it's a big butcher's block, but it's completely hard, completely non-permeable. There's no little ridges, so no juice or anything gets in, and you just scrub it down. That, that, that meat juice comes out again, though, and it infuses flavour into the next thing you're cooking. 
It's a good idea, you know. No. Yeah. You're such a spoofer. <laughs> we have a lovely Bunbury board we got when we got married in 2013 and it's still going strong and I'm not throwing it out despite what online bedrooms say in their survey. Anyway, Eno Doherty, columnist with the Irish Independent, Sean Bowers, reporter with the Irish Times. Thank you both. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.